0: Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! The word quarantine and the word isolation, th- those are two words that we used to not use a lot, but we pretty much use them every day now, it seems like. There's people being quarantined, there's people uh, being isolated uh, with this COVID-19 virus. Uh, like I say, we never used to really use those words because we never really had to quarantine ourselves or isolate ourselves. So with that in mind, before we begin, I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front I'm about to tell you a very bad joke, and I don't mean bad like dirty bad, I mean bad like it is not funny, and so when I give you the punchline and there's absolutely no response, we'll take away some of that awkwardness at first. So here we go, very, very bad joke. Uh, There was a man who had a very rare and an extremely contagious condition. And the doctor told him, he says, listen, we're going to have to put you in an isolation room, and you're going to have to be by yourself for a very, very long time uh, until this thing subsides, and we're going to have to put you on a diet of nothing but pancakes and pizza. And the guy thought for a minute, and he said, well, will the pancakes and the pizza cure my condition? No, the doctor replied. These are the only things that we can slide under your door told you it was, I told you it was uh, bad. Quarantine and, and isolation can, can be an absolutely terrible thing. I, I know we've had some, uh, when this COVID thing first hit, some of our church members came down with it like four months ago. Uh, and when they were in the hospital in an isolation room, even their spouses couldn't come and visit them. Uh, it just had to be a, an incredibly terrible, terrible thing to be isolated and to be alone. Those of you who are familiar with human psychology uh, know the name Sigmund Freud. He is considered the the father of modern uh, psychology. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Sigmund Freud died at the age of 83, a very bitter, disillusioned man. He was quoted as writing in in the year 1918 these words, I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole and my experience most of them are trash end of quote that's some encouraging words right there right most of us are trash sigmund freud began to systematically dismantle every human relationship he he ever had and when he died at the age of 83 years old he died Broken, bitter, alone, friendless. We are, if you're visiting for the first time today, in in a series called Extravagant Love. And what we're doing is we're examining the story of the lost son or the story of the prodigal son as we often refer to it uh, today. The story of the prodigal son is this story of this beautiful, extravagant love. It gives us a picture of a young man who becomes restless in his life, and that restlessness leads to him living a very reckless life. In an attempt to find himself, this young man manages to lose himself in this process, and he finds himself isolated from his father, And so with that in mind, today's message is entitled Paths, that's plural, of isolation. Paths of isolation. And so what I want to do to start out this morning is I want to read the entire story of the prodigal son in its entirety. And then we're going to go back this week and we're going to focus on verses 11 through 13. So I want you to hang in there because it's a very lengthy story, it's a very lengthy passage of Scripture, and you will notice in the story that we're going to read, just like last week, the two stories that preceded this, the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, you're going to notice that there's the same common thing in here. Something or someone is lost, they are found, and the net result is there, there is great rejoicing. So, if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke 15. If you don't, uh, you can look us up on the, uh, on the, on the phone, uh, Life Church app, uh, or it, it'll be on the screen. So, let's begin Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. In other words, hey, you've got a lot of money, Dad. I know I'm going to get this money someday, why don't you just go ahead and give it to me now? I want my inheritance now. And so he, the father, divided his property between them, between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. In other words, he was hungry. He had no money to buy food. He he was desperate. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, in other words, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And then he arose and he came to his father, and I love this, and we'll talk about this next week. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. Somebody had to do the work on the farm. So he was there. And he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and he heard dancing. So he called out to the one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends, but when this, I love this, but when this son of yours, so oftentimes in our house when my sons uh, aggravate me or, or misbehave, I'll look at Lindy and I'll be like, hey, your son is out of control, right? He won't even call him his brother, he says to his father, this son of yours, has devoured your property with prostitutes, and yet you kill the fattened calf for him. And he, the father, said to his son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is a very popular story in in the Gospels, and in this story that I just read to you, I think there are two clear paths to isolation, and here's where we want to swim around in this morning. Okay, you have two sons, an older son and a younger son, both of which I'm going to submit to you were isolated from their father. Now, I want to stop right here because we have a tendency to focus on the story itself and we should focus on the story itself, but I need to remind you that this isn't a true story. This is a parable. This is a hypothetical story. This is Jesus giving an illustration, okay? And in a parable, Jesus is going to tell earthly stories that we can wrap our minds around that have a deep, significant, spiritual, and heavenly meaning. So in the story, obviously, who does the father represent? God. And the sons represent you and I, the children of God. And we're going to see in the text that there are two clear paths to find ourselves isolated from our father. The first path is very obvious, right? It's the younger son. He was isolated from the father due to his rebellion. I'm going to live my life my way, not the way you want me to to live it. So much so that he physically isolated himself geographically. He went as far away as possible. His rebellion brought him far away. The text says he went to a far distant country. But I think there's another path to isolation that we find in this text. It's the path of the oldest son. And we find out in the text that the oldest son stayed home. He stayed with the father. He was living with his father in his father's house, but he too, I believe, was isolated from the father because he was a rule follower. But he had no real intimacy with his father. Two sons who were isolated from the father for two different reasons, two completely different paths. Now, we can talk about human isolation for a minute and about human relationships, and we know that we can be isolated from each other for various reasons. I'll give you a couple just as some examples. All right, geographically, we can live far from family, and that causes us to feel isolated, right? So those of you who are grandparents in here, maybe you have some grandchildren that live here in town with you, and maybe you have some grandparents that live 10, 12, 10, 12 14 hours away. And the net result is you're more involved in those grandkids' lives who live close to you, right? And it's not that you love them more, but you just see them more, you know what's going on more. And so um, geographically, we can be isolated from each other. But we can also be isolated from people mentally or, or spiritually, right? Sometimes we're not close to family members because they have different political views than us. Now, I realize we don't argue about politics anymore in this country, <laughs> right? But so just, just political ideology can cause friction and isolation in a family. Sometimes we can be isolated from our blood family because we're believers and they're not believers. And you can actually feel closer and do life together with people that aren't your blood relatives because of that spiritual connection. Or there can be philosophical or or, or different worldviews that isolate us from people. So we can be isolated from each other for different reasons. Well, in this story of the lost son, the isolation picture that's being painted is this isolation from God the Father. And I think this too also happens for different reasons. So... Before we dive back into the text we just read, let's back up for just a second and let me remind you of what we spent last week's message pointing out, building up to the prodigal son. The point that we tried to hammer home last week is the stories themselves are important. Something's lost, something's found. When it's found, there's rejoicing. That's very, very important. But equally or even more important than the stories themselves are, are the audience who are listening to those stories. They're two very different groups of people, both which were isolated from God's love, God's grace, and God's forgiveness. So let me just back you up to Luke 15:1 and 2 real quick. Now the tax collectors and sinners, there's group number one, were drawing near to him And the Pharisees and the scribes, that's group number two, they do what they always did, grumbled, saying, this man, this man who's supposed to be a man of God, this man who's supposed to be God's son, he is actually hanging out with the least of these. He's actually going to sit down and have dinner with sinners and with tax collectors. This man receives them and eats with them. So in this, in the Chapter 15 of the book of Luke, you see these two groups of people hearing these stories. Group one, sinners and tax collectors. That would be those of us who have isolated ourselves from God due to our rebellion. I'm not going to live my life the way God tells me to live. And that would be people that are, are lost and far from God. Almost like they're living in a far distant country. But then you have group number two, these religious leaders. These were the movers and the shakers. These were the people that have dedicated their whole lives to serving God. I mean, they worked in his temple every day, in his house every day. Yet, they had no love and no compassion for their lost brothers and sisters. They too were far from God just like the older brother in the story. And so with that as our foundation, real quickly, I just want to look at these two different paths of isolation. How we find ourselves far from God, isolated from God and His grace and His promises. Path number one is the obvious path, the path that we often think of when we talk about lost people. It's the path of the younger son. He isolated himself from his father due to his rebellion. Look at verse 12. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. Okay, so what he's essentially doing is this. He's demanding his inheritance in advance. And this had to hurt the father, right? Because here's essentially what he's saying to his dad. I wish you were dead. You're better off to me dead. Because when you die, I get your stuff and I get my freedom. I can do what I want. But since you're alive, I'm stuck. If you just give me the money, I can take it and I can go far away from you. It's this attitude of, I want to live for myself, by myself. It's this attitude of saying, yeah, yeah, I know there's a Heavenly Father. Yeah, I believe in God. Of course I do. I live in the South. Everyone believes in God. However, I don't really care what God has to say. It's my life. I'm going to do with it what I please. I just want you to bless me, bless me, bless me, and then I'm going to take that blessing, and I'm going to do what I want with it. Go ahead and give me what's coming to me now, God, and then leave me alone. We see this played out in the book of Romans. In fact, Romans chapter 1, we're seeing Romans chapter 1 unfold in 2020, right before our eyes today. I mean, we're living it. I encourage you to go home and read it. And Paul talks about this. Here's what he says. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So that's the attitude of the younger son. I'm not going to live under my father's rules anymore. Is that not us at times? It certainly is me. I know I'm a preacher and I'm supposed to be perfect, but I am far from it. Far, far from it. I find myself in the shoes of the younger son a lot of different times in my life. You see, we don't really want God's involvement or interference in our lives. You just sit there and be quiet, and I'll call you if I need you. And so many people never fulfill the purpose of God, but rather they frustrate the purpose of God because they're disobedient. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey to a far country. In other words, once that inheritance check cleared the bank, I emptied my account, I packed my belongings, and I am out of here. He took all that he owned with him with the intention of, I am never, ever coming back. I think we see this play out and are seeing this play out everywhere in the American church, right? We call these people de-churched. I'm never coming back. I'm done with God. I'm done with church people. No one's going to tell me, you're not going to sit up there on that pulpit and tell me how to live my life. Not even God. So, isolation path number one is the obvious path. And that's what we think of when we think of lost people. I believe in God, but I'm going to do my own thing. However, there's this second path of isolation that we need to address. And this is running rampant in the American church. I believe. This path of isolation is equally, if not even more dangerous than the first path. It's the path of the Pharisees and the scribes. It's the path of the older son who was isolated from his father even though they were living in the same house. It's the path of those of us who claim to be a son and daughter of God while we refuse to love the least of these. And I just want to go ahead and and let you know the gospel is full uh, of examples of if we cannot love our brothers and sisters, there is no salvation for us. None at all. We are just as lost. But it is the path that I see so many church people walking down. Many people think that they're close to God because they sit in church week after week or because they're good people you know you can sit in church and still be very isolated from God yeah I think it was the famous evangelist Billy Sunday that said this quote going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile right so you can sleep in your garage every night but you're never going to be a car are you You can come to church every time the doors open, but that doesn't mean that you're saved, right? We can be very religious, but still be absolutely separated, isolated, and very, very far from God. Just like you can live in the same house house with someone and be distant. Some of you know all too well. You see this play out in your house. Some of you... Sleep in bed with your spouse. They are right next to you, but you might as well be a million, million light years apart because you just feel alone. The relationship is fractured. You're together, but you couldn't be further apart. I think this was the oldest son. And I want you to note his attitude, and we're going to dive into this in a, in a few weeks But let's just scratch the surface with this. So in the narrative itself, the son's coming back from work. He comes upon the house, and he hears singing and dancing. And he's like, what in the world's going on? So I'm going to pick up verse 27. And he said to him, this servant says to the older brother, your brother has come home, your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has been received safe and sound. But look at the attitude. But he was angry and frustrated to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But here's the attitude, you ready? Here's what he said to his father. Look at these many years, I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me, even a young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes and devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. In other words, he's saying, look, Dad, I've been the one following the rules. I've been the one following the law. I've been the one that's been here day in and day out, and he's been off in a far distant land. I'm the one that that has served you. I'm the one that deserves to be rewarded. I, 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 I. You ever found yourself with this attitude? I certainly have. I think we can all identify with this a little bit if we're honest with ourselves. Well, God, I've been coming to church for years. I even joined a small group. I even signed up for a work day. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to follow your rules. I'm checking all the boxes. But yet here I am driving a Ford Focus, and my neighbor, who is a stark-raving heathen, is driving a BMW. When are you going to take care of me? That's not fair. Or, and you see this play out with people who get burnt out or heavily involved in ministry God, I'm doing all these things in ministry, I'm the martyr. I'm so worn out. I'm so broken because I'm working so hard for you. Everybody else doesn't seem to get it. They don't really seem to deserve anything. In fact, God, I'm not so sure Jesus died for those people. In the text, instead of celebrating with his father, and if you're a father, you can identify with this, who just got his son back. Instead of celebrating, he's filled with anger and jealousy. His heart is absolutely devoid of love. So think about this for a minute. If you truly love your dad, if you truly love your father, and you see your father crying tears of joy and celebrating, naturally, you're going to want to celebrate with him, right? It should be this shared rejoicing. Something's lost, it's found, now we can rejoice. And Jesus is hammering this home all the way through Luke 15. Remember, the audience is full of sinners and tax collectors. They're lost, and Jesus wants them to know, I know you're lost, but don't make any mistake about it. Even though you're lost, you're still loved. I'm still waiting, and when you step towards me, I'm going to run to you. I'm going to throw a robe on you. I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness. I'm going to embrace you. I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to put sandals on your feet. I'm going to throw a celebration for you because that is how valuable you are to me. I mean we see the progression in Luke 15 that we talked about last week, right? 100 sheep, one goes away, the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. When he finds it, look what happens. Luke 15:7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he goes into the story of a woman who loses a coin, and she turns the house upside down, and she finally finds it. And here's the net result, verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then, of course, the prodigal son, verse 32. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours that was dead is alive. He was lost and is found. <sighs> Essentially, I think what I'm saying here is, churchgoers, we have got to take the attitude of Jesus Christ. We cannot separate ourselves from culture and refuse to rub elbows with the least of these, with sinners Prostitutes, tax collectors, whatever. I have found this to be true in my 20 years here at Elevate Christian Church and my almost 30 years of ministry. If it matters to God, it should matter to us. If it excites God, it should excite us. And that begs us to ask the question, when is the last time you've had rejoicing over one lost sinner that you introduced to Jesus Christ. You see, if it matters to God, it should matter to us unless we're like the older brother, unless we are the Pharisee. Unless we have isolated ourselves from God while sitting in church year after year, talking about how good God is, how good we are, how faithful we are, and all the while not having love in our hearts for our lost brothers and sisters. I want to leave you with a verse from John, the beloved apostle, 1 John 4.20, which I think says it all. He says, if anyone says, I love God. Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but most of us in here would say, yes, I'm here because I love God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. God just said, you don't love me. You can't hate my children and love me, right? You walk up into my house for dinner and you start mistreating my children, I'm going to ask you to leave. I want you to treat my children well because you love me. Anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. cannot love God and whom he has not seen. My guess is, There there is someone in here today, and you're far from God. Maybe you haven't been in church in a long time, and and here you roll up, and I sound like a, a good old Southern Baptist preacher yelling at you. I don't mean to sound that way, but you are far from God. He's waiting for you to come home. He'll always be waiting for you to come home. He was Motel 6 before Motel 6. He always leaves the light on for you it's always there maybe he's calling for you to come home maybe though some of you are like the older son because you've been in the church for a while and you've gotten real Pharisaical and you're isolated from God because you have no love for lost people i actually heard a conversation between a preacher and a young lady who was struggling with drug addiction and she wanted to be saved, she wanted to give her life to Christ. You know what that preacher told her? You gotta, you gotta quit drugs first, you gotta do this, 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 and then Jesus can save you. That's not the gospel I read. The gospel I read is salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone, not XYZ and then Jesus trying to clean ourselves up, is acting like the Pharisee. I can do this, and then Jesus will save me. No, Jesus will save you where you are. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, Jesus can save. So we've been wearing these bracelets. I was trying to think of an initiative that didn't involve, you know, spreading germs. And these bracelets, if you don't have one, there's there's some on the table out there and some on the seats. They just simply say extravagant love. And on the back, they have Luke 15. And every week, we're giving you something to, to kind of pray about when you kind of look down and you're going through life and you see this bracelet. And so for you, it could be one of two things. Maybe you're considered a sinner and a tax collector. You need to be reminded of what I just told you. He is waiting for you. So wear that thing that says extravagant love as a reminder that when you're ready to come back, he is there waiting for you. Some of you, like all of us can do, have gotten on your high horse. You think because you come to church and because you do this and X, Y, Z, that you're better off than the least of these. And so I would ask you to flip that thing around where it says Luke 15, because that's the chapter, that's the book in the verse, and you're kind of a book, chapter, verse people when you throw spiritual darts at people. And to be reminded that Luke chapter 15, the entire chapter, deals with something lost, something found, and then great rejoicing by the Father in heaven. And maybe we just be need to be reminded and humbled a little bit that there wasn't a thing that we did to enter this covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. It is by grace, grace that we have been saved through our faith. This is not of your own, but it is a gift from God. Let me read that verse one more time. John, 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For that he does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.